Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and this episode is all about writing down complicated, complex rhythms. You can find the accompanying article for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 152 if you're a member, or if you're not a member, you can go to the blog at colorfulkeys.ie slash 152. If you have ever tried to get a student to compose something, if you've ever worked on composing with your students, you will be familiar with this problem. Your student creates their beautiful melody and they go to write it down and they can figure out the notes, but they can't nail down the rhythm. They might tell you that the notes are all the same length, it just goes like this. And yet they're playing notes of all different lengths. Students can have a real, real hard time writing down rhythms specifically. So in this episode, I want to walk you through how we can get students to write in, to notate their own compositions, their own rhythms, in a way that is step-by-step and helps them to develop this skill over time, because it is not an easy one. First, though, I think we need to cover some foundations. You're going to continue to have a hard time with your students working on their rhythms if they don't have good rhythmic foundations in their skill shed, as it were. So I want to start by laying the concrete, I guess, with these things. Make sure these are in place in your studio. The first one is to make sure that your student, that you're trying to get to notate this rhythm, that they have a good, strong sense of the pulse of music. In other words, if you put on some music, can they march along with it? Not just can they play with a sense of beat, that's another step, but can they even step along with it? Because if you haven't tried this with your students, you might be surprised how many of them can't. Some students pick this up very early on. Some three-year-olds can do this when they arrive to us already. But everybody has to pick it up at some stage. And if they haven't been exposed to this in the outside world, outside of our studio, then we're going to need to do lots more practice of it with them in the studio. And if they don't have that sense of pulse, they're going to need a lot of assistance from you in their composing until they develop that. 
The second thing is to make sure that they have built up or are starting to build up a strong rhythmic vocabulary. We talk a lot about this on the blog and we have a whole series of different cards in the membership called Rhythm Vocab for this reason. So these are cards with just one bar or one measure of rhythm on each one. And we do tons and tons of different games and activities to work on internalizing these patterns. It's not about reading the cards. The cards are just a tool we use to build up the actual vocabulary. So they don't have to read and decipher it, they see it as one chunk. And the more and more you can build up these rhythm patterns, the more your student can recognize them when they create them themselves as well. But that's the next step. They don't have any rhythm vocabulary to refer to. If they don't have that internal dictionary, it's going to be really hard to write down their own rhythms. And the third foundation I want you to make sure is in place is that they understand what rhythm is. Might sound silly, but separating pitch from rhythm is confusing for many people. Not just young students, in fact, for people of all ages. So make sure you're doing some kind of games and practice tasks or activities that work on this separation of pitch and rhythm. This can be as simple as you playing a melody for them that has a rhythm and they have to clap it back to you, right? So they're clapping the rhythm. But you can get a lot more interesting than that and I have a lot more ideas on how to work on this in Rhythm in 5. Rhythm in 5 is a course inside Vibrant Music Teaching membership and it is also a book. If you're not a member or you just like to have a book in your hands, you can also pick that up. It's available all the usual places. Now that we've got that out of the way, we've got our foundations, we've laid the steel, I was going to say girders. (laughs) My architect father would be ashamed of me for that analogy. But anyway, everything's in place. We're ready to go. I've got three steps for you when you have a student that's bamboozled by the whole idea of writing down their rhythms. So here we go. Step one is called long or short. At this stage of figuring out their rhythm, so they have this pattern that they're playing or singing or clapping, and they want to be able to write it down. At this first stage, all we want them to decide is whether each note is longer or shorter. Now. Obviously, there may be many, many more note values than just two in this rhythm that they're tapping or playing or singing. But if we start with just long or short, divide them into two groups, we start to get a sense of the pattern of the music. And it's really useful to make this a tactile experience as well. So a great way to do this is to just get two sets of objects. So two piles of something. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you have a bunch of toys on one side and a bunch of paper clips on the other. Or different types of Owaco erasers. For me, that would be hedgehogs versus everything else. (laughs) Whatever you have to hand. Just make sure there's two clear categories. One is going to represent short notes and one long. So let's say you choose paper clips and pencils for short and long. Your student then goes through their pattern. And actually, the precursor to this step is they need to count how many notes it has. Because they might not even be tracking where one note ends and the other begins, especially if they're singing it. 
So make sure they just count up their notes. Okay, how many notes are we aiming for? And then go through them one by one. This first one, does it start with a long note or a short note? And if they're really off base here, you can absolutely correct them and they'll start to get the hang of it. So you've got paperclip, pencil, pencil, paperclip, etc, etc, laid out in front of you when you're done with this exercise. So if they say short note, put a paperclip or they put a paperclip on the table or on the closed piano lid and then they put a pencil because the next one's longer and pe another pencil. To give you a sense of this, this actual rhythm might go crotchet, so quarter note, minimum half note, and then maybe it's a dotted minimum, maybe it's in 3-4. So it doesn't mean that those two long notes are the same, it's just that they feel long-ish. That's all we're aiming for at this stage. And then once you have that laid out for their full rhythm, you just clap it back together and make sure it matches and you can point or tap the objects while your student claps it so they can make sure it fits and then you're ready to move on to step two. This is a bit of a tricky step for a lot of students. So the long and short thing, they'll get the hang of that. That'll go pretty well or reasonably smoothly, even if it takes a little while. But your next step is to decide what the meter is. And that's tougher. It's more of an abstract concept and students won't necessarily know why you're insisting they do this first, but it is really hard to get the right note values if you don't have the time signature. So the best next step here is to decide where the strong beats are or the strong notes are and the weak ones are. And they can do this by simply emphasizing certain notes. You can do this by stamping along, so you're tapping the rhythm and you stamp when you feel the strong note. If you have a student who doesn't have a, excuse the pun, strong sense of this, then I would demonstrate several different versions. So if they tap a particular rhythm, you can tap it with various different emphasis and see which one they think fits. If they're tapping them as all the same and doesn't really have a meter, well then you demonstrate several different versions in your head, you're thinking if it was in 3 4, it'd go like this. If it was in 4 4, it'd go like this. And then they pick, oh, that one sounds right to me. And then you move forward from there. Yes, you might be slightly altering their rhythm at some of these stages, but not too much. And they're getting a hang of the process. And their rhythm may need altering. As some students won't have clapped something or tapped something initially or played something on the piano that really had a strong rhythm to it, right? It might have been a bit random and had weird changing time signatures in every single bar. And while they may have meant to write something that complicated, they may have just been, I don't want to say improvising, because that sounds like I'm making improv negative. But you know what I mean. They may have been a bit loose with their sense of it having a rhythm at all. And so if they are on the younger side, you may be slightly altering it at this stage. Once you decide where those strong notes are, if you have those paper clips and pencils laid out, I would put something else underneath them, almost like you're underlining those notes that you've decided are strong. So say you take erasers now and you put one under the first paper clip and then etc etc going through like that. And then step three, the final step, is to make a stab at it. Have a guess. So they know where the longs and shorts are, they know where the bar lines are gonna go. Now they just have a guess at what might fit. And then they put it to the test. 
assure them that they don't have to get it right on the first go. It might not sound exactly right, but we have to make a guess and then loop back on it and check and then do that again. And we will fine tune it to the point of it sounding like the rhythm that they have. So for this, they make a guess at it and one of three things needs to happen next to test it. Either they just notate it by hand and they clap it back accurately and see if it matches what they think it should sound like. That's tricky for some students to do, but especially if they have been learning for quite a while and they're a little bit further along in their studies, maybe they can do that along with the metronome and be really honest with themselves or like treat it as a fresh rhythm and be able to see whether it matches. If they can't do that, though, the other two options are good for you. So the next choice would just be you clap it as you see it while counting, perhaps, and see whether it matches what they expected it to sound like. Acknowledging before you start that you know how they think it should sound, but you're going to clap it as you see it, not as you heard them uh, play it or clap it a minute ago. And then the third step I really, really like because it's an impartial third party and that is to input it into notation software. And you can literally just do it all on one note, or you could use a rhythm instrument and have it play it back. And they can say whether it sounds pretty much right or not. Again, it won't be exactly as someone would play it. We all know we stray from the exact precise rhythm slightly, but it should sound pretty much right. Otherwise, you need to go back to the drawing board. If it sounds totally wrong, they may need to have a whole new guess at it, or you may need to step in and give them some helping, a helping hand with that. If they are pretty close, but there's one part that's wrong, that's where you just tweak that and you move on from there. And those are the steps. So you start with just long and short, then you find the main beats and underline those, and then you make some guesses and test it and test it until it's correct. And if you keep doing those three steps, your student won't need all three steps eventually, right? You or I could listen to a rhythm and write it down just by thinking it through. But when students are starting out with this, they need a step-by-step process to follow, and that's what that is for. Now, that being said, this won't go step-by-step for every single student. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes they write a rhythm that is just really complex. Or sometimes they just happen to have a harder time with this concept or these steps and following them. And as long as you're continuing to shore up those foundations that we talked about in the beginning, then you might just help them along and do some troubleshooting with them to help them through the process. So here are the, some of the best troubleshooting tips for when your student is struggling. First of all, slow it down. Force them to go at half the speed and help them to do it. Some students will find that really challenging, but you need to be able to slow it down in order to see where the long notes are and where the short notes are and where the strong notes are, etc, etc. Another way to troubleshoot this or to try something a bit different is to use something called the grid method, which is where you break up the beats or the pulse into subdivisions. So let's say you break it up into sixteenths or eighths, or that's uh, quavers or semi-quavers, and have them work through it like that. 
and see where they subdivide. That would generally be better for a student who is more advanced but really struggles with using their ears for things and trusting their own musicianship. Having that analytical process might be really useful for them. Another way to troubleshoot is to see whether there's anything they've heard before that has the same sound. If you break the rhythm down into its component parts, or into bars that you've decided where they start and end, your student might be able to identify that it sounds a bit like a certain piece that they played. They can then look up their piece, find that rhythm section of it, find that rhythm pattern in it, and insert that and see if it's right and tweak from there. Another really common pitfall that students fall into is they can't figure out this rhythm and it feels like it's going long and short, but everything they try is too long and too short. And often what's happening is they have swung quavers. That's all that it is, swing on their eighth notes. And they've only seen straight quavers, right, in their own pieces, so they are not familiar with the concept and they just can't make it work and it's turning into something very complicated. And then you come along and write, swing the eighths up the top and everything is solved. On a similar note, it may be that they have some ornaments in there, they have some twiddly bits, and they've been trying to write them down, these really fast notes and everything. Actually, it's just a trill or something like that, and you can help them out with that and say, oh yeah, that's just this this thing we have in music that you haven't come across in writing yet. If your student really gets stuck, please don't hesitate to jump in. This is a process that they're going to have to go through again and again in order to get it, in many cases. And so, even them getting through the first two steps or the first one step on the first try, and if they get stuck from there, you stepping in and saying, okay, absolutely I can take this and there's a little bit of a tricky interesting bit you've written here that you won't have come across in writing so let me write that down for you and we'll see if it sounds right. There's no problem with that. They still did a huge bulk of the work and they still wrote the piece. You just help them a tiny bit with the notation and next time maybe they'll go to the next step or the next step or they'll get all the way there but let it take its time. And if you have a student who's say at the beginner stage and they write something that is just really interesting, but you know, it has to be in 12-8 or something like that. And while you could help them simplify it, they've actually written a really interesting rhythm, and there's no reason why they should have to notate it. That isn't a rule. So maybe it's that you make up your own notation together. Maybe they draw their own graphical notation, their own different shapes and lines to represent it. Maybe this opens up a whole discussion about where music notation came from, how it doesn't represent all of music, how no system could ever be perfect, right? But that it's our best one and that's why we use it. And maybe you even take out one of my favorite books, which is called Do Re Mi. If you can read music, thank Guido D'Arezzo. That's a fabulous picture book that I will use with students much older than maybe its target audience because it's wonderful to hear the story of where music notation came from and the different evolutions it went through. So if your student is struggling to write it down and you know it's going to be beyond their reading ability, maybe they make up their own writing instead.
I would love to hear if you've struggled with this area, if some of these tips were useful for you and your students. Let me know if you try them out. Either head over to the show notes for this episode, that's at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 152, or on the blog colourfulkeys.ie slash 152, or you can catch me on Facebook in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers community. I'd love to see you there, and I look forward to chatting rhythm with you. Bye for now. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.